And so he would find the buyers at these companies and be like, Wizza is going to knock your socks off. And he would send them a pair of socks. Let's do X. It's like walk up to a group of girls with a big block of ice. (laughs) (laughs) Broke the ice, Broke the ice. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Our Future podcast. My name is Simran Sandu, and I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Michael Sakan. We're two guys in our early 20s who sold our company to a major media conglomerate, and now we give you the tactics, strategies that you can take to go start your own revenue-generating business. Yeah, and I think the main thing to note, right, is we're covering young entrepreneurs. Like, that's kind of what makes our show different, is that we're specifically focusing on people who have found success faster than their peers. And I think it's really awesome because even if you're like older or even if you're in high school, like it doesn't matter, right? If someone's like 21 and making millions of dollars, then you can too. Exactly. If some bloke can come out of his mom's basement, you know, with a year of college under his belt and make six million a year, like the guy we're about to talk about in the the first case study, then anything's possible. The sky's the limit. I want to start off by telling you about this 25-year-old entrepreneur. His name's Stephen Hakami. He's doing several millions of dollars per year in revenue by creating a software tool that could eventually overtake Zoom Info. He's able to break through into a really competitive market. You know how many services there are for like finding emails? Like I could name a five off the top of my head. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, his story is so compelling. So let's go ahead and start there. Steven started off as a young hustler. He's selling these flip phones. And as he gets older, his parents are pushing him to go to college, but he doesn't really want to do it. So to appease them, he goes for six months and drops out, but doesn't tell them about it. In the meantime, he takes on the sales job where He's doing entry-level sales, but he's getting exposed to a ton of cool opportunities in the space. So he eventually leaves the job to go pursue his first idea, which was a tool that would scan your email and identify prospects that you've reached out to, but haven't followed up. I honestly think that that was like a a good idea. Yeah, I think so. You know when Gmail is like, oh, like sent six days ago, follow up? Yeah. Like if that could be like standardized with a tool and like, I could know because I remember when I was doing podcast guest outreach, I wish I had a tool like that because I never brought like a serious CRM. Like if you're not going to take a CRM to manage like your outreach, like you might as well have this tool to make sure that if the manual way you're doing it is like you're getting it right. Yeah. I mean, the issue was that it wasn't a big enough problem that people would want to pull out their wallets and go spend money for right. right? But I think he learned a lot from it. He found his first developer from mm-hmm. Upwork. He spent $3,500 doing this. But what I like about him is that he took the full jump. It wasn't like one of those things where he was half in and half out. It, it seems to be a parallel in his story is that he kind of burns the bridge behind him and he goes all in. Mm-hmm. Turns out that you know, this wasn't that big of an opportunity. So he's running out of cash, decides to go back to his sales job. So he goes back to his job and he realizes two things. One, he's using LinkedIn, but he can't export the contacts from Sales Navigator. So he has to do all this manual entry. Everyone else is using Zoom Info. And the issue is, is that the emails he was getting weren't very accurate. And so he thought to himself, what if I built a tool that solved these two exact things? And that is what created his now company called Wizza. It's a software tool that allows you to export all the contact info from LinkedIn, and it gives you higher accuracy through this thing called a live SMTP verification. And now they're crushing it. He's going to do over $6 million in revenue this year. And, you know, it's not too shabby for a guy who was a college dropout and bootstrapped his entire way. 
boy here. Is it fair to lie to your parents if you have that dog in you and you know in six months' time they'll know you're not in college, but you built a successful B2B SaaS? Well, that's one of those things. If you can pull it off, then, you know, you're good. Yeah. But... Well, he actually didn't pull it off at first, so maybe his parents were pissed, but... But at least he not, knew you're not usually going to pull it off in your first time, right? Yeah. Like you have to get really lucky to be able right. to to succeed at your first business. Yeah. Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But I think another thing sticks out to me in that yeah. uh what he did was he like always kept that door open with his like last job, right? Like he had a really good relationship with his boss, which I think is good, uh, at his sales job. And then because sales is what he knew, that's the company he started. Like, you know, it goes back to just finding that core competency. He did sales. He was good at sales. So he's going to build a SaaS tool in sales. It's interesting. How many salespeople you think encounter some friction, some problem, some annoyance with how they go about prospecting and then actually decide to go and start a company to do something about it? What, I mean, how does someone just yeah. choose to do that? I guess some people are just built different, right? Like that's what the age old debate is about entrepreneurship. Right. Yeah, it takes some some real entrepreneurial spirit, but yeah. that actually highlights a really interesting point is that when he's targeting customers for his company, he's actually going to people who use Zoom info, right? And the reason is, is because he can explain the deficiencies in their current product and how they're going about it to right. say, hey, we've created a much better tool. He's not actually trying to increase the market share. He's just trying to capture a bigger slice of what currently exists. Yeah, well, it's a huge market, right? Email discovery. It's like yeah. the name of the game in sales. You know, there's two main sales channels, right? There's like LinkedIn nav sales navigator and there's email. And I think email is by far the most fertile sales channel because LinkedIn's just known as like this spammy place. But if LinkedIn is tapped out in the messaging side of things, it's very promotional. We have to remember that LinkedIn is the world's ultimate people discovery tool, right? Like it always has been that way. It's probably, one, if not one of the world's most valuable data sets like ever created by Reid Hoffman. Shout out to that guy. And it has the most accurate information on who's working in what role. Did people make a job switch? Because LinkedIn is this constant evolving reflection of our professional life. And whenever someone's fired or laid off or they move job or they start the first place, they're going. the first place they're going. Yep. So it has the most accurate information in the first place. So if you're going to the most high quality data source, his challenge was you couldn't improve that data source. Right. In that origination point. So he enabled you to, to mass export. Now, what I think is really interesting. So instant gratification. So, you know, you call an Uber, you're going to, you, you you're going to want to cancel that if it doesn't come within five minutes. Right. Uh, with like a lot of these platforms, people are just like clicking a name and they're like, I want their email added to a list. Kind of like, I think that's what Apollo and Zoom Info is doing. You create a prospect list and then it's instantly like getting the email and putting it in a spreadsheet. Here's what Steven has. And that you pick a thousand people on LinkedIn, for example, and then he has an hour, right? To go through that data. And that time window is really valuable because he's doing a mass export. This is for people trying to reach a massive amount of targets. He can then bring a higher quality. He can he can do more brute forcing and pull from more databases to give you a higher quality output for those emails. Yeah, because I think what Apollo and some of these other tools do is they just cross-reference against their own database. And yeah. so it's limited to the kind of information they already have. Mm -hmm. And when someone changes their job on LinkedIn, it can take up to a year before Zoom Info even recognizes it and makes the update in their system, right? So you're not working with real-time info. Something else that was kind of interesting to me was you may listen to this and think, well, why doesn't LinkedIn go create an export tool, right? Like this feels more like a feature than it does an actual company. Right. And 
Stephen highlighted this big like mental unlock for us, which is that LinkedIn can't offer this because they're servicing the users. They don't want people to know that their data is being scraped by scale- salespeople, right? Exactly. And that's And it already is on the surface. Yeah. It's being scraped, but inside the platform. Yep. So pay to play, use LinkedIn's tools, and you got to stay inside LinkedIn, right? With Stephen's tools, he's making it so you can then leave LinkedIn. And LinkedIn doesn't like that behavior. So I think it's interesting how he's been able to find a way to take this high-quality data and then improve it on his own platform. Um, so we talk a lot about uh, essentially like platform um, cannibalization. I guess that's the right term to use. Just read a tweet about how Shopify essentially like copied a few Shopify apps that were successful on its yeah. platform. Amazon does the same stuff. They see what's working on their app store. Or, sorry, not their app store, on their marketplaces, and then they copy it with Amazon Basics. Do you think there's a risk that LinkedIn could ever be like, hmm, like maybe we will, you know, add an e- export to email tool. Like maybe it would be a game changer and make people buy sales navigator more. Well, it's a lever they can pull on. The question is when and if. Yeah. Right. It's an interesting thing, right? Because as a business owner, you have tons of levers at your disposal in what it comes down to is being strategic on when you pull them. Right. And one parallel I would draw here is that, um, Stephen was thinking about building out something called Wizza Connect, and it was this email sequencing tool. And he tried to do it simultaneously while he was building out Wizza, but realized he was spreading himself too thin. And I think that's a trap a lot of us entrepreneurs fall yeah. into, which is like you see so many extensions and use cases. So you want to go build out every single thing. And it's like, no, tap out and focus on one specific thing exhaust it completely and then go pull the next lever right because what happens is you spread yourself too thin you haven't actually exhausted that first resource and now you're getting like 50 percent of the way there now you're focusing on the next thing and there's still so much room and money on the table absolutely i mean if you look at the morning brew right they waited years before they launched marketing brew and tech brew right and like did that copy and paste model for like their original product that worked you know, we've talked uh, we've talked to these founders, uh, whether it's Zach Murray or Prince, right? And we're like, be at the origination point of any process, right? With with Prince, it's a DTC company making a product. With Zach, it's a marketer creating an ad. With Steven, it's a sales guy coming up with their prospect list, right? So they they're catching people at this very early stage in the value chain, and there's a big temptation, yes, to then build the next steps for that user because you have them in the first place. You know, Prince wants to build an insurance company. And, exactly. And a more yeah. of a, 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 a tracking tool. And Zach wants to, to be, build AI briefs and collaboration marketing, you know, Google Docs for marketers. And with Steven, he has that temptation too to build Wiza Connect, right? Which is essentially you can then send emails out of Wiza SaaS platform. But at the end of the day, like he looked at what made him competitive, which is the, the data set and the algorithm they've been developing to get accurate information and by focusing on that he knew he could scale his business and keep growing as opposed to putting a halt on on the growth for a feature that he wouldn't know would actually make people want the product more it's like a distraction right so avoiding the shiny object of expansion even though it's very very clear it's going to be in the cards right yeah like it's going to be in the cards the question is like what when's the right time to be like we're going to do something different. You know what I mean? Totally. And I think leaning on your early users is so important. So with Steven, what he would do is he found these small sales communities like Twitter, Reddit groups, and that's where he was 
getting his initial feedback. And I think just leaning on them, learning what it is they actually want to see in the product and then iterating from there is so yeah. important, right? Because I think most people, what they do is they go build out a product that they find interesting mm -hmm. and then they realize no one actually wants to pay for it. And that's what happened yeah. with this first company, Torch, right? Right. I think that's a problem, especially when you tell your friends about it. Everybody's willing to you know, say you have a great business idea until they're not willing to pay for it. Exactly. Like a lot of very successful entrepreneurs have been like, make sure that they're willing to like give you their credit card, right? Like that's the defining moment. And you're building out for an ICP. You're not building out for your homies, right? Exactly. Your homies are there to like back <laughs> you up and like they want to be on the yacht one day, but you like put the homies to the side, you know, like find people who are more qualified. Another thing I thought was interesting about Steven is when he launched Wiza, it was like, day and night difference from torch like instantly people were super excited about it like exactly. it was a real problem they had yeah. right uh from what zach was saying was you know and the pat when we talked to him a few episodes ago was find a problem that's really like worth solving don't get married to software get married to a problem and i thought that was a great perspective right because everyone wants like some kind of tech product that can scale like really aggressively but you have to be solving a problem that's worthwhile it can't be a vitamin it must be a painkiller and that's what steven found yeah it's a good point right he found pmf pretty quickly for this business but one specific sales tactic he used stood out to me oh this is a good one yeah and one of his earlier companies was a sock company he was creating dress socks and it was the subscription thing where yeah. you could essentially get variations <laughs> of dress, dress socks yeah, variations of dress yeah. socks sent to you and so he had a ton of inventory left over and so he would find the buyers at these companies and be like wizza is gonna knock your socks off and he would send them a pair <laughs> of socks right and it's just like one of those goofy things i've heard a variation of this on youtube which was like someone would send one shoe to people and it would be like well now that i have my shoe in the door right <laughs> or now i have my foot in the door yeah, like, yeah, yeah. let's do action it's like walk up to a why. group of girls with a big block of ice <laughs> broke the ice broke girls. the ice <laughs> <laughs> oh man so that's a funny it. one yeah i don't know it's always like tracing that through line between kind of like your past and your future right if yeah. you can find those things that you know just those funny things that make you all a bit more different and really piece together your personality that's what Steven did by reaching reaching back into the sock inventory. So I think it's worth noting this guy was like literally a founder from day one. He just took time to brute force different spaces and find the opportunity that actually had legs. You know what I find most interesting, though, is everyone's like distribution, marketing, like you need to be a big creator. Like Steven is very low key. I mean, I'm really happy he was able to come on here and tell us he was making six million a year and talk to us because... He isn't incredibly private. And it's healthy margins, but, too. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a phenomenal business. But, yeah. like, dude, he he's not a marketer. Like, he didn't really spend that much time promoting the product, doing growth hacks, at least to my knowledge from having spoken to him. So it's like, if you have a good product, it will sell itself. And I think that's really comforting for me. Because if I when I think about launching another business or doing a new product or something along those lines, I'm constantly, in my head, I'm like, how how is it going to grow right and everyone on twitter is like distribution over product any day of the week but there's some products that just grow they're so good they just grow mm -hmm. you know isn't that interesting insight like he isn't on twitter talking about his numbers he's making six million a year he wants to make a hundred million arr you know i i think that's one way you could go about it i'm hesitant to say that like that is the only way you can do it because 
people do use distribution first methods and do extremely well with it. I think our chief content officer has a really good analogy on this, which is his distinction between product and distribution, product in this case being food and distribution being water. Um, and the way he explains it is that you knew, you need both to live, but if you've got good distribution, you can live just a little bit longer. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. His goal is 100 million ARR. Do you think he can hit it? Maybe it's if he adds these other features and expands out of this one-click export, he could build a behemoth that really goes to bat. I mean, Zoom Info, I think we were talking about it, does billions in revenue per year? It does over a billion in sales. Oh, man. Do I think they can get there? Yes, but they're going to have to move up market. My hunch is that the people yeah. using it right now are more of you know Joe Schmoes like you and I, um, one-off people. Than it is like massive. Me a Joe Schmo, bro. <laughs> in My this context, wet, bro. in this context, um, but I think bigger enterprise sales teams would need to adapt and adopt this. Yeah. For this to to get to the hundred million dollar yeah. goal, I, I guess. Like, how do you escape the vortex of competition? Is moving up market, up the ladder, right? Trying to get to like the bigger blue chips because you already have some credibility with the small to medium sized businesses. That seems to be a guiding philosophy and business strategy for a lot of the young people we've seen build like software products, just because it's so competitive. Like if you're in the small to middle middle market for a product, like you're just going to get flooded with competition. And Wiza was, you know, Stephen was telling us that Wiza had some competitors pop up, but over time he had the better product and now he's going to get into, into better companies. It's like yeah. with us, dude, you know how many short form video agencies, you know, came out after us and like started going down after the lower market and we're just like, see ya. Yeah. Is there anything you don't like about his business? I don't like the com competi the competitiveness nature of the market. I think there's like a, an index for how competitive a market is. Business school, the one class I paid attention to, it's like <laughs> business strategy. But uh, I would I would put it in the higher rung of that. Like I think airline was at the top. Like airlines, sure. But but Zoom Info, Rocket Reach, Hunter, Apollo. There's so many different ways to get someone's email, and they're all pretty fucking good, man. Mm -hmm. HubSpot, Salesforce. You're competing with some of the biggest, most well-capitalized companies in the world. So I think CRM's this, a little. I different, think sales yeah. is a very, it's a great, you know, it's it's a very important process in business, and it's great to attack that that market and that category. And people are going to make a lot of money. And at the end of the day, if you're building a product that helps people drive more revenue. It's a great product. Well, that's cool. Get us uh, get us started with uh, entrepreneur number two for the day. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, Catherine Cross over at Anja Health. This company really blows my mind because, for one, I will tell you what it is, but first I want to tell you that uh, Catherine doesn't have a technical or medical background. So she started this healthcare company, and it's called Anja. So essentially what Catherine found or you know had, had noticed, so there's two things. So first off, her personal story, and second, a market trend. So... Her personal story was her brother developed, had an awful drowning accident and mm -hmm. developed, very sadly, cerebral palsy. Now, her and her mom were researching treatments to, to help alleviate the symptoms of cerebral palsy and that, you know, stem cell treatment actually turned out to be, to be one of those, those things. Then she found this interesting statistic, which was 30% of people in China and Singapore are saving the umbilical cord and the placenta at birth, right after birth happens, because they're rich in these very valuable stem cells, which can be used to treat these conditions down the line. And they're, they're freezing them and keeping them as like a bioacid over time. So what she's doing with Anja Health is trying to bring that behavior over to the US in that you have this really valuable asset, the umbilical cord, the placenta, it's, it's, it's full of stem cells, 
uh, at birth. Yeah, and they're cutting it, right? And like they discard the umbilical cord. Right. I, I actually have heard of some crazy stories of like people eating their placenta after birth because it's like very nutritious. But besides the point, this is a bioasset that would yeah. otherwise is underutilized. So she yeah. found an underutilized asset. They consider is, it a biohazard, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's like bio waste. Yeah. Throw it in like one of those, you know, you see like the radio radioactive sign. Yeah, the you know, scary like, radioactive Yeah, it's like hella sauce, bro. It's like when you're giving samples in like a healthcare institution. Um, but it's it's a very valuable thing because if you develop any of these conditions later, if it's multiple sclerosis, leukemia, uh, certain types of cancer, stem cells can be used to treat it. And stem cells are at their highest fidelity when they come from the placenta and the umbilical cord. Yeah, because the other place you could get them is your bone marrow. Right. And the umbilical cord is great because the cells are new. They haven't been interacting with other cells in the body, at least is how I understood it. And so it's like this pure origin source for you to be able to pull from and harvest and put in this lab so you can tap into it when you need them. Oh, man, it, this is a wild business, right? Yeah. Like she doesn't have a healthcare background, and she's literally like in the bio-containment storage space and do you want to talk about the business model because it's pretty nuts right so well before the business model i want to just like dumbify down the process right because there's a lot of nuances here that you factor in at its core this is a supply chain and a media company and i'll explain to you why that is the case if you think about it there's three key people in the puzzle here right you have the parent who is giving the stem cells right like the umbilical cord in this case the mother you have the lab, which will store the stem cells for decades, 70 over 70 years if need be. And then you have the courier, who is kind of the, the messenger, the intermediary who goes between the lab and actually going up and picking up the stem cells from the mother, you know, at, at the hospital. Wild. Right? And she is white-labeled essentially the service. These aren't her couriers. These aren't her labs. She's just white-labeling. They're already doing stem cell harvesting for other things. And so she just found her own use case and was able to um, bring in that angle and build a business around it. Now, how is she getting the attention and the awareness for it? She's actually pursuing a TikTok strategy, which is crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, education is the piece that is going to be the hardest part here, right? Yeah. Like she created the supply chain first. She figured out how to get these things stored and frozen and accessible in the future. But like, how do you convince someone to be like, okay, before I give birth, I'm going to get this Anja box. And then the people are going to put my, I'm going to save my umbilical cord. And then I'm going to invest in this over the long term. Like it's a serious decision, right? Like her business model is saving the, these things for decades for you. And you're paying for that, right? So that's, that's what I think is going to be her biggest hurdle is actually telling people you should be saving your umbilical cord and your placenta. She has built the wildest subscription model I have been I know. exposed to. At Netflix. Yeah. Take, take notes. Yeah. Take notes. The LTV on this is insane. <laughs> well, you are put in this eight-year subscription model where you're paying, I believe their smallest package is what, 40 to 50 bucks, right? Yeah. And you're you're paying this a month. They store these cells in 20-year blocks, right? So you're forced into an eight-year subscription to hold these cells for 20 years. And I was just like, this is crazy. Like, I cannot believe I know. that. I mean, granted, it is serious, right? Like, this kind of plays into that, like, life insurance aspect. It and does. would love to hear your perspective on that. Well, what if you forget about it? Like, what if you, like, 
have the baby and you bought the Anja box it's and you just forgot. It's such a serious issue, though. It's serious enough you, would, you won't forget. You wouldn't forget when the time came if you yeah. needed to, and if to pull into. you ever needed the treatment, you would remember, probably. Yeah. Right. It's just like... It is an insurance play in my mind. What are, what are the chances that you're going to get one of these rare or, you know, maybe even more common conditions that will need stem cell treatment? Um, you know, Warren Buffett loves insurance companies. And this reminds me a lot of like an insurance company like you just mentioned. And that it's probably not going to happen, but you should 100% be doing it because you'll never have the chance to again. The thing about life insurance is I'm like, oh, okay, I can always get life insurance at some point. I'm 23 or whatever, like probably not going to be sick or find a condition next few years. But with this, it's like you have one window. You have 72 hours after you give birth to protect this precious information encoded to you. And you may not have a chance to get that ever again from a donor, from anybody else. The time window is limited. So I think with Anja, it's like, how do I create a sense of urgency, right? Maybe how do I do a little fear-mongering in marketing, right? How do I make people really feel like they need this, right? Because let's be real. This is a, a ni- this, this right now, as it's presented, is a nice to have. It's not a need to have, right? And she needs to move. Because if she could do, if she could do what the stats are in China and Singapore on this, 30% of parents are saving this this bio product, I mean, that could be a multi 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 billion dollar company in the United States. Yeah, I mean, as a parent, I would feel uh, an obligation, a responsibility to subscribe to a service like this. If I knew that fifty bucks a month, and you know, if my child was to face some life altering disease, and this could be the solution they need, right? Like when I think about it in that lens, I'm like, well, yeah, fifty bucks, my child. fifty dollars is nothing. I would, yeah, yeah, I would pay hundreds if if that's what was required. Right. It's crazy, kind of the advances in this space. You know, with like IVF, you can like pick the gender before, and I honestly, dude, like this whole market of targeting rich people having kids is probably like a pretty valid one, right? I mean, I guess besides Andre, like think about. CRISPR and all these other genetic advancements, like being able to like pick your child's like eye color and height and intelligence and things like that. Like that's coming. You know what I mean? So she's like approaching that same market. I could see this being something that a lot of, you know, like a wealthy parent in private school is telling other parents about like, Hey, did you use Anja? Like, yeah, we, we, we saved our umbilical cord. You guys, they're like, no, it's like, ah, must not know anything about, uh, how to protect yourself and your child then, you know? And it like there would create a lot of like FOMO um, amongst that audience. I feel like everyone wants to be the best parent. Everyone wants to signal that they're the best parent. I guarantee you, these mofo's will be slinging this thing around the preschool <laughs> campus. <laughs> You're probably right. But how are they learning about it though? Is again her TikTok strategy, and that's what's interesting to me. So she has 160,000 followers on. That's impressive on, for a on product TikTok. this technical. Yeah, and she's found the right blend of education and like value and still engaging because I think it would if it was super technical it would be really hard to get especially in the masses to understand what the problem even is or what is her solution to this but she has to kind of navigate this landscape as well right like she has to use special terms she can't just say stem cell research right am I am I getting that correct well yeah I think stem cells are a little bit of a touchy topic as we know you know, they're, the stem cells come from, you know, fetuses, and it, it, it has had some controversy in the, in the space in the yeah. past. Um, 
But so she uses the term cord blood banking. Cord blood. Yeah. Mm. I think that's such a cool name, like cord but cord blood banking. It's like out with fintech. Let me get on that cord blood banking. That's the future. Yeah, but for some reason, I also feel like if you can own a phrase, that probably only helps you. Like if I think cord blood and immediately my head goes to Anja Health, right? Like how powerful could that be? Yeah. Because if I think a stem cell, I don't think of Anja Health. Right. But imagine being like us and owning our future, bro. That's big. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a very apples to oranges comparison. It's almost hard to even like draw parallels from like yeah. a media company outside well, of her distribution strategy. I mean, if she can become the 23andMe of this category, like I think that's the play. Um, because when you think of genetic testing, it's like, let me get my 23andMe. Like even if you use Ancestry.com's test, like it's like, oh, I just got my 23andMe back. It's like the Kleenex or the Uber, right? So she could become that synonymous company in this nascent category of saving the umbilical cord and placenta. So I think massive market opportunity um, it'll just take a lot of time and education to get more people to to actually start participating in this strategy of insurance and and protecting this very valuable thing. Uh, so you know, uh, if she can keep going and she's raised a good amount of money, I think she's raised millions of dollars. Alexis Ohanian, uh, Bology, right? The guy who made that Bitcoin bet. He also used to be in biotech and he was the CTO of Coinbase. So she has some good backing. It will take time, but if she gets even a small percentage of this market, you know, this is a very valuable subscription to have and to to sell to people. So the the market is huge, right? It's like every three minutes, someone in the US is diagnosed with a disease that could be treated with cord blood stem cells. Now, here's something I find interesting, right? She has all this bio content, right? And stored in this lab. What happens when people are trying to get stem cells for their illness, right? Maybe they forgot to sell theirs, uh, they forgot to store theirs at birth. Could Anja then have these parents license out their stem cells to other people, right? There's probably a ton of money there. And Anja then becoming a provider of stem cells themselves, you know, granted, you know, the parents are on board. There's a rev share of some kind. That's kind of crazy to think about. This market's huge. It's huge. Right? Because yeah. only a very small percentage of people for the foreseeable future are going to be using Anja. But since they have access to to this content, maybe there could be like a licensing play or you could be making money. You know how people go into like a uh, uh, blood donation facilities to like make extra money. Totally. Like this, yeah. that could be possible. I think that's another interesting way to think about it. I don't think it's quite the same because like there's, there's a lot of mismatch that can happen too, right? Like your body can reject these stem cells. Yeah. All that to say, I think it's really impressive how she's built this company. I know. I, that she only has like three or four people working on this with her. She's raised millions of dollars, but she's been so lean. Like, yeah. even with the packaging of these kits, yeah. she found a guy from Fiverr. Like, kudos yeah. to her. This is awesome. I think it's cool her background was in like design because yeah. the website looks amazing. And I really like the branding on the product. Yeah. It feels very like health kit, like 23andMe. Um, I like those products. I think they're marketed well. Totally. Best of luck to, to Catherine Cross, the uh, 24-year-old maverick going after uh, cord blood banking. Cord blood banking. Cord blood banking. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Future Podcast. If you haven't checked it out yet, go and see our interview with Sam Parr. It was phenomenal. Got a ton of great feedback on that. And make sure to hit those five stars, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or if you're on YouTube, uh, make sure to smash that like button. Smash we need that. that like button. We need that. We need that. And the subscribe button as well. Gentlemen's agreement. Stay frosty, everybody. Stay frosty. Peace.